It was a joke about the episode, Chels. That's, that's what they say. They reach. That's when you get somebody, you reach. We don't reach. As this, is, this, this explanation of the joke is proving. Hi, I'm Chelsea. I'm Abby. And I'm Paul. And welcome to 3D Beam Up. Today we are talking Season 3, Episode 20, The Way to Eden. So I don't know if it's because um, we're all quarantined, but um, I feel like this was the perfect episode to watch during a global pandemic because one of the characters is Typhoid Mary. Like, how perfect mm-hmm. is this timing, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, might as well, and, and he's completely, he's a, he's a silent carrier, so he's completely denying the fact of science that he could infect anybody else. And he's mm-hmm. a selfish prick. So, yeah, I think also a huge this tool. is accurate for these trying times. So, I think this is a good episode this week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I, I had that point as well. Um, <sighs> I, I thought it's very interesting because he is very much the like, no, I don't feel bad. Uh, and they're like, no, you definitely have this horrible disease. And it's your science um, is lying. And he yeah, kno- like, but he no knows way, it, man. though. He eventually admits it. Well, he admits it. He, he admits it the whole time that, like, he has it. Um, but he refuses to acknowledge that anybody (laughs) else has feelings or anything else so (laughs) he's the only one that matters I like the part where he kills himself now we're gonna get ahead of ourselves yeah (laughs) spoilers for the end Um, I had a way I was gonna lead this in too um, because I in my hands I'm not gonna hold it up to camera because I need to know what type Um, I have a package of of pepper from cookies (laughs) how'd you get those what? Well, I've had them here for a few weeks. Anytime that I get one, I just send them next to my computer for the next time we need them. But I am not going to open this time because I have so many notes about this episode. Um, I have so many notes about. I this have episode. many notes as well. Actually, I have like a page and a half. I yeah, do because I type about mine. How bad it is! I actually um, okay. Here's where the shocking part so, I yeah, mentioned earlier the... came in. Um, I right really on. like this episode. <laughs> it's like. I like it so much. Chelsea, what do you think about this episode? This is the worst episode that has ever existed. This is up there with Spock's brain. I think that if you were going to show someone five episodes of Star Trek, this one maybe has to be in that set. I kind of think it does. Guys, here's my thing. The A plot I find actually great. The B plot with Chekhov could be deleted, and I hated it, and it was stupid. It's not necessary. And pointless. But the A plot, I love it. <laughs> I kept waiting because so I remember this episode no. and I kept waiting to be like, when, I hate this episode, right? This is a terrible episode. And I kept going, no, I really like this episode. This is a great, so they Chelsea, burst into song. It's great. <laughs> well, the song's not the best part. But Chelsea, no, you want to talk about the subtext. And I think the subtext of this episode is one of the most powerful that we've had so far in the series. Um, about, I mean, it's certainly from a 60s perspective. About, oh, yeah the hippie movement, but also just idealism in general, the, the, the problematic nature of cults, uh, idealism without cause, idealism without critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Like the subtext of this episode is so powerful. Yeah, and, that's like uh, a very universal. neoliberal way to read it. Uh, I read it as a bunch of old people uh, 
really no, no. the old people are not without fault either the old, <laughs> old people are very very much at fault um both sides are committing so many logical fallacies but it's also such a great episode to like talk about logical fallacies right i have a, a, a list of all of them that both sides were doing um well unlike it... the hold on people we'll get back to the themes i have a whole paragraph but unlike the two of you who i presumed watch this by yourselves i actually did with watch it with a person who had not seen trek before which paul is i'm presuming what you would uh, like uh, this episode to uh, mm-hmm. yeah, be yeah. shown to <laughs> such people. And let me tell you, within five minutes, this person was on their phone. Within 10, they had left <laughs> to do the dishes. Literally, chores were better than this episode. Yeah, they might do that for all episodes of Trek, frankly. Yeah. Um, it's I'm an old series. Tell- I, it's a, it, this is a science fiction lover <laughs> whose I want like, some favorite testing. shows are Stargate and Battlestar Galactica. Well, those are such different shows than yeah, original yeah. Trek, though. That is, like, original Trek, like, I am, I'm actually dramas. not a huge, I'm more of a fantasy person than a sci-fi person, generally speaking. And I love Trek, but partially because I grew up with it. Like, sure. it's partially a nostalgic thing, and I know that. But like, and especially with TOS, honestly, like I like I like TOS, but on, but TNG is my track, right? Yeah, and so TNG it, it really is depends. a lot more science fiction, and TOS in many instances is almost science yeah, fantasy. Yeah, right? we've, we've reached there a bunch of times. Um, but we certainly, reach, like, we reach. S- yeah, SG One and uh, Battlestar are like hard science yeah, fiction. For real, um, some of the hardest science fiction of the last twenty. I guess wow, Stargate's twenty five. Wow, uh, the last, <laughs> last twenty five years. I'm telling you, this is a bad episode. No one likes it, and you're both. Wrong. I do. No offense. <laughs> I'm not no one, and I like it. So no one else likes it. It's terrible. It's not. It's not without problems. Oh no, it's absolutely a problematic episode. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I really like it but, if I can yeah. delete the Chekhov parts. <laughs> yes. And and full disclosure, um, I watched this about a week ago and took a whole bunch of notes. Uh, and, and we postponed it. And I, I was thinking I would watch it again this morning just to be refreshed on it. And then when I sat down to do it, I was like, you know, I probably don't need to watch it again. <laughs> that was like me saying, I don't think I want to watch it again. But it's the same as like, if you look at, you know, important literary works um, that you might think, well, like War and Peace or something like that. Even um, Dune. Oh boy, I'd read, read Dune today. I like um, I like Dune, but Dune is dense and it takes okay, a while. That's so fair. like getting my that's head around example. like reading again is reading it again is like whoof. If you are comparing that. this to a dense work of literary value, no, no, I'm, I'm you are comparing factually it, raw. <laughs> I'm comparing it to a, a a a book that like you maybe don't pick up and read every all the time <laughs> and maybe you wouldn't even no. want to try but it is still important to have in the canon um, no this could be yeah. cut with no loss at all to the canon except for making the series better the only <laughs> thing i'll give you is that the very opening was interesting they i like the stolen cruiser i like the new remastering of the cruiser i don't know if you compared yeah the new one i to thought the remastering one. was good I like the beaming aboard. I like the high-speed chase. That was fun. I wish we had had Uhura in it instead of Rando, communications officer. Um, and I like the setup if they're about to head into Romulan space. I like... So I guess a lot of the problematic parts are the ones I think you're mentioning. Like, those are the notes I have of, like, how the close, how they're this close to Romulan space. They must be in the neutral zone, which is already a problem. Mm-hmm. Which they, I think they, they were, They get into the right? neutral zone, yeah. Um, 
for like, sure. What is their plan in the shuttle? Like, I don't know that they have one. Well, they're just trying to get to the planet that they've decided is Eden, and it's it happens to be in Romulan space, so that's where they're going. I kind of think. Yeah, I agree. Well, and, and this is another one of these places where like both sides are doing problematic things, where the shuttle, the people on the shuttle. Um, are going to kill themselves, right? The shuttle is going to explode, and they don't know they're going to be beamed up. So, like, that's their long plan, is they're going to die at the, the first five seconds of the episode. Um, Assuming that they know that. Uh, I mean, if they're piloting the ship anywhere, like, the ship is not just saying, yeah, everything is fine, <laughs> while it's about to go critical and explode. Um, there's, like, klaxon, klaxon, you know, that sort of stuff I would... Thing. Who knows? Is the implication that they're so high that they have like no idea what's happening? No, I don't, I don't think, think so. I don't I, think there's ever any implication that they're. Let's toss it out there because uh, that's an open question. I don't think there's any question or any implication in this episode that they're ever drug users. No, I don't think so. Which is actually mildly surprising for the series. I feel like. No, no, no. I think it adds to the subtext though because it, it takes away that path of saying, "Well, that's why they're acting this way." Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um. There's but no I, direct showing it, but there's definitely the implication of there's something like wrong with their heads. Yes, there is would, from well, there be, is from like that would be Kirk. one explanation. There is from because Kirk, of but Spock of all people is the one to be like, no, I get it. Like I see, I see why they're doing this. I understand their mentality. Like it may like. It's a different mentality than ours, but it makes sense to me. Like, yeah. and which I love that Spock is the character that actually like gets them. I love that. It makes sense. Um, and I it think... kind of does. It really doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does to me, who is the most Spock-like of the three of us. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it, it's the idea that like they're clouded by, and, and again, there's different ways to take this, and I'm not saying. Uh, they're clouded by idealism, and it's not to say yeah. idealism is bad. It's to say idealism is noble and laudable. But if you just say, well, my goal is idealism, I just want to do this, but without any specificity or without any critical thinking, you're very susceptible to these charismatic uh, leaders, like cult leaders, essentially, what this person is. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is how a lot of cults, like, this oh, is yeah. te- kind of textbook. Like, yeah, this is textbook cult stuff. Of Like, if you were just an idealist that says, yeah, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, do you want to go live on this cool planet and it's great? You say, yeah, that sounds okay. And, like, that's the first <laughs> hook. Um, if you don't stop and ask, well, yeah, what are the what are the particulars? Like, where is it? How are we going to get there? Like, <laughs> tell me about it. Um, if you push back a little, the whole plan falls apart. But if you just say, yeah, cool, that sounds good, and go along without questioning, that's... Again, the the main main subtext of this episode, I think, right? Yeah, I think so, and and I think it Mm. it really is. um, (laughs) Chelsea, you've already she's already decided she doesn't like the episode, so she's not going to engage with any of our (laughs) response. No, I'm saying that that's not. I think the main subtext of the episode. If anything, I think it's an anti-young person message, a very non-flattering depiction. No, 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 because so the young people here are the ones they're they're. All right, let's kind start at the, the beginning. We okay, see okay. the hippies for the first time. They're rude. They don't listen. They just chant. They demand to go to this mythical place. They don't recognize authority. Uh, it's just this insane depiction. Like, there are these belligerent little children, and it's so reminiscent of the children she'll lead. It's practically yeah, yeah. the same group, but older. And that is not a sympathetic group of people, the children. And it's not a sympathetic group when they're adults. It's painting a a sort of uh, 
a, an older person's caricature of hippies, I think, right? Obviously, obviously. I, uh, okay, you can read it it's that way caricature. now, but I don't, I really don't think that's how it was meant to be read. I do not think you're supposed to be sympathetic to them. I think you're supposed to sympathize with not them. No, you are supposed to be sympathetic with yeah, them because you're, you're otherwise they wouldn't have any of the officers sympathetic with them. If they wanted this to be anti-hippie completely, Spock wouldn't understand them and be able to communicate yeah, yeah. with them. That yeah. is, you have to have a hook. One of the upper echelon officers, either Kirk, Spock, or Bones, has to be on a level with them. And he is. Which means this can't be read as a specifically anti-hippie message because yeah. otherwise the, it would be us against them. Yeah. Uh, of course it can be read like that. Like, well, like it's also you I read human works in the humanities as being more or less convincing. I can read it that way. I absolutely can be, <laughs> read it that way. Like, <laughs> well, but Spock is. I mean, that Spock is part of the them, right? Mm-hmm. That's the, the the other trick, right? You could almost see uh, Adam uh, in this, right? In some of the le- in most texty subtext. Um, is almost the protagonist of this, right? He's the one who yeah, this honestly. is a tragedy for, right? He's the one at the end who dies to, to wrap this arc of this tragedy. Um, like, it's very much his story in this this episode. Of Which like, I don't seem concerned about at all, that he died. And isn't he the one ambassador's Spock kid? Is. No, the, the ambassador's kid is the purple-haired one. Yeah, I was always very unclear what who was his ambassador's name? kid. No, that was Adam. Adam no. with purple hair. No, no Adam has blonde curly hair. Different one. Um, it's the purple with the big eyebrows. That was that was the ambassador's son. Yeah. Oh, and purple hair lived? No, yeah. purple hair died. No, he doesn't. Um, Severin I mean, and Adam are the ones right. that die. Yeah, yeah. I think the rest of them, yeah, the, the rest, rest of them, are, them fine, are fine, right? They, yeah. like, get poison on their feet or whatever. Yeah, uh, they get burns, the... but that's it. No, 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 no. Yes. People dead, way to Eden. No, no. Purple hair is lying on the ground dead. No, that is Adam. Adam has yellow hair. Purple yeah, hair. It's definitely dies. Adam who dies. Yes. No. Yellow hair dies. <laughs> yeah, yellow hair. The the blondie guy. Yeah. Yeah, that, the blonde that's guy. It, Adam. No, it no, you're wrong. I'm not, but okay. Because Spock um, at the end says, like, and again, the, like, His name was Adam. Yeah. Subtexty. Yeah, he's like, hey, remember the Bible? His name was Adam. He ate an apple. Um, I, I don't believe you guys. Hold on. You don't believe us about find anything the exact... this episode. Oh, Spock? <laughs> okay, here's On Memory Alpha. His name was Adam. Spock, seeing Adam's corpse next to the half-eaten fruit. Uh, so Adam is the one who dies, at least. Um, and he's the musician. Uh-huh. And the musician Black. was blonde. <laughs> so purple hair lives? Yes. Yes. Everybody he, except he was the again, ambassador's son. Adam. Does he have a name? I think he does, but I don't remember what it is. This would have been way more interesting if the ambassador's son died causing a political crisis. Well, but we don't I mean, have an emotional connection with him. He's not the one yeah, that, we like... We don't even remember his name. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't have an emotional connection with any of them. I think they're all really flat characters who are essentially just replicas of those kids in The Children Shall Lead. I think they're all yeah, just really bad. I hate really the kids bad. in Children Shall Lead a lot more mm-hmm. than I hate these kids. And, like, yeah, they're same. all, like, these kids, terribly these acted. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This is not good. I don't know how you can possibly give it any credence as like a serious. <laughs> yes, piece you've of art. you've made that very clear, Chelsea. <laughs> but it's terrible. It's really bad. The only parts I liked were the opening, and then, and I didn't like the costumes, but I thought they were interesting. 
I don't know. Those green suede boots that Adam wears are pretty <laughs> rad. And that floral, like, two-piece kind of romper thing that, that Chekhov's chick lady wears. Oh, yeah. That is amazing, and I would wear that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it looks like they just found, like, scraps from various closets, and then they, like, stitched them together. I think, I mean, I think that's a very accurate read of it, though, because yeah. I think that's what they would have done, I think, right? yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like these characters, I think that's what these characters would have done in the yeah, way they, they kind of just would have found some stuff to like. Well, and they talk about how clothing is restricting, and so of course they're wearing stuff that's very loose and very like just kind of fabric draping. And yeah, I think they're wearing the the most least clothing that the censors would have allowed them yeah, to wear. Yeah, basically, right? yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That one time Spock was wearing a really short skirt, but. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's on the same level. I'm not nearly as sympathetic to them as you're being. They were the children of rich people, so I, they, they no, would have had nice clothes. I will I will say, like, at the beginning, too, they are built in the first scene, and, and actually for uh, quite a while, as super entitled, as, like, super... You, you are built to hate them, right? They're not, um, you know, lovable characters. Um, they're built to be characters that you hate, but you slowly... Um, learn to understand, right? That you that Spock again is the vehicle for it. That mm-hmm. Spock is the one who reaches out a hand and says, "Well, they look like jerks and idiots because that's how they're acting." Um, but if like, let's understand their motives. Let's understand their backgrounds a little, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he even goes to a jam session with them. I mean, yeah, right. Which is awesome <laughs> and amazing, and I love it so much. <laughs> It's so bad. The music's so bad. Also, can we talk about the acoustics of those instruments? Oh, I I did have a note about that. I was like, how are any of these instruments making any of these noises? All right, seriously, the six-string scythe or, like, the ten-string wheel, like, those don't look like they could really play. None of it made any sense with what was coming out of, supposedly, the instruments. However, I super loved it. You're not supposed to really, like, look at their their hands moving while you listen to the song either (laughs) which means they're actually doing some pretty good acting because it looks like they actually are enjoying music it is well i mean i'm sure the music is playing on set right oh yeah well Uh, they're playing something on set if they're not playing the actual music but they're playing something you would think i Uh, yeah one would hope I liked the music. I enjoyed that there were like, it was like a musical episode of Star Trek. There were music breaks all over the place. I got so happy about it. (laughs) I really didn't. I thought it was just like a bad parody of 1960s rock. (laughs) I could have done with less music. (laughs) I went on that one, Chelsea. There is more than, there is more than I kind of think there should be, but I kind of loved it. (laughs) The lyrics are like the worst thing I've ever heard. Okay, (laughs) Chelsea, McCoy has one of his best like doctory bits of any episode, any recent episode, right? Where I, I took a note that like when McCoy is telling Kirk about um, this disease and like yelling at him for being typhoid Mary, like McCoy really, really sounds like a doctor. Like just is really saying everything a doctor should in this situation. Um, yeah, McCoy's always that there. good. No, he's not. <laughs> he is. <laughs> a lot he's of times 100% he's... that good when a he's written like he this. he is a terrible doctor. Yeah, last episode was not nearly as good. I don't recall. Um, <laughs> we never do. Also, why why don't they lock any of these people in like a room? That doesn't have to be the brig, but like their doors do have locks, right? Yeah, because they, of the this... ambassador situation. But couldn't you just put an ambassador in a nice room and be like, "Hey, you're here now. You want anything? Call us and we'll deliver it." <laughs> but you live here now. <laughs> 
Yeah, having the run of the ship is maybe not. But again, this is enterprise security is terrible. Yeah. They don't even just have run of the ship; they have the run of comms, right? Yeah, it's, they could it's, broadcast it's, over comms anytime they want. Yeah, it's yeah. so bad. <laughs> it is well. Oh, my again, impression is that that was specially arranged. Diplomatic immunity. Just, no, but that the comms like they them playing over the system was like. A oh yeah, the jam session thing. was definitely like Spock being like, "Let's let the crew enjoy some fun music," and that that's why it was over comms, and that's why the uh, yeah, security officer was that. bad at his job <laughs> again, <laughs> and gets knocked out so easily. <laughs> so in terms of Chekhov's backstory, first of all, the accents were really bad. Well, they, yeah. always they always are. They always are. They always are, but it's when you have double the accents, it's really easy to notice it. Yeah, uh, that's fair. I thought this might have been the first place we learned where Chekhov's name was Pavel, and it is. I double-checked that on Memory Alpha. Mm-hmm. Um, why aren't they speaking Russian? Because it's the 60s American <laughs> television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to assume it's the universal translator translating for us, and that's what. Well, you answered your own question. English would have been. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. One of you the answered best... in canon, one answered in practicality. Yeah. The best thing about the Chekhov subplot was his eyeliner. Oh my gosh, he has better eyeliner than I do. <laughs> like. <laughs> It was amazing. I was so impressed. I really like his comb over. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Gosh. All right. To talk about the Chekhov stupid subplot for five seconds. Yeah, let's get that out of the Here's way. Here's why it was so bad. Because it was originally meant for Kirk. And they wrote it like it was meant for Kirk and they didn't really change it, which is why it huh. didn't make any sense for Chekhov's character. Huh. And it was supposed, the girl was supposed to actually be Bones' daughter. Which I think oh, would have made wow. this way, way, way better. Yeah, that's I think maybe a Bones' daughter might be better, but um, I do think that Kirk needed to not be the love interest. <laughs> I yeah. think they could have done this with Chekhov, but I think, and I think they really should have played it with Chekhov playing a little bit more with kind of buying into it, kind of like Sulu does. Yeah, a little bit. Whereas, but when his final choices comes, he's like, "No, I'm I'm an officer. I made this choice a long time ago, and this is where I belong." And they could have made it much more interesting, and they didn't because they just kind of shoehorned it, shoehorned it in, and that was sad. They have Joanna in a lot of the books, and they do have the love story between her and Kirk in the books, and I think it would have been much more interesting to see it on screen. Yeah. Well, it yeah. also said on Memory Alpha that if uh, Trek hadn't been canceled uh, after season three, um, she Bones' daughter was going to make an appearance in season four. <laughs> so it was always kind of a plan. It just never happened. Interesting. You mentioned writing. This one is written by uh, Michael Richards, which is the pen name of DC Fontana. Yes. DC Fontana. But they changed the script so much is why she went with one of her pen names. She wasn't happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Yes. Of course she wasn't happy because it was this bad, you guys. I mean, she's written some good ones, but she's also written some. I would have stripped my name from this episode. She's still written some not so great ones, too. I love DC Fontana, but. And, you know, yeah. Some of the not so great. But. Yeah. So bad. Yeah. At least uh, um, Charles Napier, who played Adam, also came back in DS9, in case you were wondering. <laughs> really? The, not the character, Adam. Yeah, no, no, he no, is but, dead. But who did he play? But he was, he was one of the um, um, officers in the Little Green Men episode of when um, the Ferengis oh. go back in time. He was one of the oh, military officers. That, oh, that's such a good episode. I just that saw episode. that episode. Yeah, that's a good episode. Ago. 
Oh man, I love DF9 episode. plays in a lot of spaces. Um, that's a fun play. It's a weird episode. Um. Um, yeah. <laughs> Back to this episode. Yeah, this um, one. Also, wouldn't she know what auxiliary control was if she was even in Starfleet for a hot minute? I did have that note as well. Wait, that she part was... of the episode, again, this is part of the problematic episodes. Like, yeah. Chekhov just tells them exactly how to hijack the ship. Kirk doesn't have command codes, as he does in so many other situations. <laughs> um, right. Ugh. Also, I thought Memory Alpha contained the sum of all human knowledge, not the ship's computers. Mm, you know, <laughs> whatever. Tomato, tomato. It's all digital. Remember when we talked about how all information in the future is digital? It's all there. And why do they need a planet to store it? Correct. That was the question I had. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <It's, laughs> it doesn't yeah. make sense. No, it um, doesn't. <laughs> oh, well. well. Also, the words auxiliary control are pretty self explanatory. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah, so so I'm going back to my notes, and, and I think to an earlier point, right? Because you did talk about, like, kids or you know they're young and um i think in in the list of fallacies right um man there are so many so the the hippies are are sort of proof by lack of evidence appeal to nature proof by anecdote appeal lack of authority special pleading uh the crew is using all sorts of other things ad hominem attacks poisoning the well these are words um but i think the biggest logical fallacy that the crew succumbs to here um, that again, I think it's part of the subtext is they say a few times um, that they're quote, you know, they're just young, um, which is a very super 60s like yes. take on hippies of saying mm-hmm. that the older people say, oh, well, these hippies are just like that because they're young and wait until they grow up, assuming that like these follies, like idealism is just a folly of the young and not that there's an actual different sort of mentality here. Um which is one of these, like, I, I think that's maybe the biggest logical fallacy the, the crew is, it, the writing for the crew is trying to demonstrate here. Um, that, like, you can't just look at children and say, oh, they're, oh, they're different than the, because they're young. They might actually have different ideas than you, not just the mm-hmm. ideas of youth. Which, hey, maybe it's a parallel for modern times as well. Hmm. Yeah, again, it's, it's like, this is a cross-generational <laughs> idea. Right? Yeah, I yeah. really don't read it as that sympathetic. I think it's very similar to The Children Shall Lead, where the overall theme is, again, that children inevitably learn the like importance of listening to elderly people who know best. And but they the, don't know best. Uh, and the Children Shall Lead to them, were, were listening to an elderly person who turned mm-hmm. out to be... Right, uh, um, space monster. <laughs> space yeah, monster. D- okay, not a space monster, guys. Guys, work with me here. They're elders. You're not working with us. Why would I listen to you? <laughs> <laughs> no, the, but who, the Gorgon, right? The Gorgon was an old space monster. He was monster. an alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah he but he was an monster. old man. He was an old man who could have had a windowless van. Oh, my God. Guys, <laughs> the value of listening to their elders, their parents, like elderly people in their, their society. Their parents are dead. Yeah, because they killed him, as opposed to, like, rando space monster. Who cares if that space monster is presenting themselves as the image of an old person or not? That's not the point. I think the allegory in that one is a lot... I'll I'll give you, that one is a lot weaker of an episode, because there's a lot more muddling in it. And it is much more... Right, it is clearly children in that one. Um, Again, I'm I'm talking about these as children, but again, they're they're full-grown adults. They're very much adults. Um, yeah, but they make the point several times in this episode that they're young. Very, yes. very much. Uh, it's a very, very much episode of but again, they need to Spock listen is... to old people. But again, but I, Spock I, I think is that's there. Why, 
yeah, and Kirk is like you're not so if you feel sympathy for Kirk saying that the the twist of this episode is you're, you're supposed to start to feel that Kirk is wrong, right? Over the long play of this, because at the end, like he doesn't really solve this crisis. Um, people die. Um, he saves the ambassador's son, I guess, but like he, the the ship does not deal with this in a great way. Yeah, in um, the end, the kids are proven wrong. They get to Eden. It wasn't paradise. It was actually like torture. It was like hell. Uh, incarnate and the biblical imagery and references are really quite clear there and yeah again like, that's the textiest part of yes, the subject adam eating the fruit of temptation and dying i mean my god like it's not <laughs> like freaking subtext it's text there <laughs> yeah it's like, the most texty part but so I think... like like in the end they are wrong they it does almost kill them and then yeah like spock is a little sympathetic symph- sympathy where he is like yeah like you should hold on to your idealism like that's really sweet and like keep that as long as you can but even that i think is pretty patronizing no no but i think that that is the overarching arc here right that like the problem was their their failure right this is a a tragedy right Mm -hmm. and it is the tragedy was not that they were looking for eden the thing that killed them was not looking for eden the thing that killed them was following severin Right. And the subtlety between those two distinctions, that's what Spock's trying to get across at the end. That like idealism is not what killed you. Like falling prey to a, a, this a cult person, leader. A cult leader who took advantage of your idealism uh, is what killed you, right? Is mm-hmm. what killed Adam. Um, and that subtlety between those two different texts is, I think, what, again, makes the arc of this episode more powerful. And, and Spock is spelling it out at the end there. Yeah. And it's, but I also read that when, not only the, the very texty, his name was Adam, but, but like, but he, he also, um, it was also a humanizing line because it was Kirk's like, he's dead. And, and, and Spock is like, he had a name. He, had, yeah. he was a person. And he had dreams and goals and just like you and me. And I, and while I, yeah, the text part really kind of bothers me because it's a little bit too on the nose as it would be for anybody. Um, But I really like the way Nimoy delivers that line of his name was Adam. Yeah. It's a cautionary tale. Yeah. It's a cautionary tale. Yeah. It's it's saying this could be any of us. Right. right? He could be anybody. And that's. He's not just a space monster. (laughs) He's a person. Yeah. And, and yeah, and that's kind of the difference. And I think that's a big difference, too, between Children Shall Lead and this one is these are all people and people are fallible. Yeah, those, like, those children and the Children Shall Lead were not people. No, they were. <laughs> they were. They, were, they, they were. I still think you're wrong and that they were they under were monsters. a spell. And In that, the Children Shall Lead? Yeah. I think that I thought the whole time they were under a spell that that like creepy yeah. guy had put them They were under. in a cult. And I, then as soon as they broke free of that spell, which apparently they had to like cry to do, then they were people again. Yeah, I I'd, never I'd be thought more they were willing, I'd be more willing to hear that argument, but I still do agree that they were just in a cult, the same sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's the same brainwashing. Like, it, it, you know. Yeah, I think we talked about it more there as brainwashing and less of a cult because it is less of a clear Because, ki- well, and kids, kids' brains are different than adult brains. Like, yeah. it, they just yeah. are. That's so fair. That's fair. They're not as developed, and your cognitive thinking skills aren't quite up to... <laughs> but, well, yeah. we can talk about the rest of the themes here. I thought the theme on the weaponization of sound was actually a little interesting. And they use sounds as weapons in two ways, both as uh, the music, like the pleasant sounds of... Um, like keeping people essentially distracted while other things were happening. 
And then, of course, the weaponization of the very high-pitched sound, which apparently would have killed them if it went much longer. Yeah, I didn't pick up... I, that part was weird because it seemed like Severin was conning them and turned it up and said, don't worry, it won't kill them, and then, like, turned it past the spot on the dial that said, it will kill them. <laughs> um, and then it didn't. So, I, yeah, I, I that whole scene was kind of muddled for me. Uh, yeah, the sound bit I kind of ignored because it was kind of MacGuffin-y, and it was just kind of like, this is how they get out device, the but I, I that is a good point, Chelsea, that they are using that. I mean, that is their, um, that is one of their main tools, mm-hmm. realistically. Um, yeah. Culture, essentially. Yeah, um, that's the first thing. Um, the, another theme, the looks are deceiving. The, everything on the planet, Eden, was very beautiful, but very deadly. And kind of, in a way, same with the kids, or the hippies in this case. They're also quite lovely even the doctor like with their beautiful tattoos and clothes and their interesting hair were they tattoos or was it just paint i couldn't decide i thought oh it was clearly just paint right but i thought yeah but i couldn't decide if it was supposed to be i thought they were supposed to be tattoos i think it would be from a i mean from trying to put yourself in the shoes of them as people flying through space with this mentality that like it would be part of your getting ready to do this perfectly every day as an act uh that making it a tattoo would um, yeah, Less than the power I, I, of it. Yeah, or make it, I mean, yeah, there's lots of ways you could take it, but I think it would be more fitting with them for it to be paint. Oh, I think it'd be more yeah. fitting to be tattoos because then they've, like, physically embodied this permanent marker of this moment that they can never, like, remove. I mean, presumably they can remove that, but it would be very difficult and painful to remove. And I don't know, like, in the future, I feel like... This physical marker of their cult. Like it marks them as cult members. Do we ever see any tattoos in TOS? I doubt it. Uh, there's other, Yeah, there's other races, I think, that have similar things. Or is that other track? I think it might be other track. I don't think, I don't think TOS has any Yeah, tattoos. I don't think any like tattoos that have been put on. Like they have alien races that have markings. But yeah, but it's not the same. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that there are any tattoos in yeah. Trek. So, I mean, that's that's Ooh, an interesting point. That is interesting. Um, I I guess I think we're in random notes time. Um, <laughs> I have a note that when they take over uh, the the secondary command or whatever um, auxiliary command, yeah. My first thought was, if this was Picard, Picard would have said, "Computer Alpha, whatever." Yeah. Set self destruct timer for sixty seconds, and then he would have sat down. <laughs> <laughs> And the fact that Kirk doesn't do that here, even though it, it is also a pretty Kirky thing to do. Yeah, honestly, um, it is. I think was interesting. Of just like, you know what? You have command of the ship. Like, Starfleet protocol says hostile presence has command of the ship. Let's blow it up. <laughs> have fun. Yeah, we know he knows how to blow it up by now because that was in a past episode already. Yeah, this he, is the I, end of I mean, season three. So that's Kirk can accidentally, accidentally blow up the Enterprise plenty of times. But um, yeah, I, I think that's a. It's a way out that he didn't take because it would have been, right, because then you're in a standoff that has to be rectified one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. He'd also need a command code, which would presumably solve the problem anyway. If Dr. Severin were insane and had, like, these doctor's records that said he was insane, why wasn't he contained? It's an it's an open question, I think. Um, what What his mentality is right what his what his problematic state is um whether or not he's delusional um whether or not he has um 
you know, something like antisocial personality disorder, um, right? Like, well, whether or not he's just gripped by obsession, like there's that too. And I mean, I, I, I did want to a little bit talk about I really the conversation that he and Spock have where Spock finally comes to the conclusion that he's like he's a danger to himself and others mm-hmm. but like uh, I I found it really heartbreaking when Spock is telling Kirk like he's he's lost it like he's totally like because you can tell he is so disappointed and it's so upsetting to me but it's really a real thing it's the don't meet your heroes you know like this person you really respect and admire their work and their philosophy and you find out that they are a monster and you're just like well that's upsetting like that's now can I even enjoy the the work you know yeah yeah that's a good read on that too um yeah, I think he's he's an interesting character, right? Because he's oh, so yeah. deeply, deeply flawed of a character. Oh, so much. But very charismatic. Um, yeah, I mean, my, I went back and forth on, like, is he just chaotically evil, right? Does he just want to watch the world burn? I don't know that he is. Burn? No, yeah, I don't think like, he is. Yeah, that's the I trick. think at least at one point, and it's like most cult leaders, you know, at one point they believed what they preach. Well, some, well, and that's, oh, well, the, side. Some, that's yeah. the question I have, right? Like, is he a con man just trying, and I don't think he is here, right? right? He doesn't have anything clear to gain. I think he does deeply believe it, but there are cult leaders who are sociopaths. Yeah, just and sociopaths, just yeah. Mm-hmm. clear out people's bank accounts and then run away when right. they, you know. But I don't think so, he's that kind of cult leader. <laughs> no, I think he is, he, I think he is psychopathically deluded that yeah. this does exist and he can get there. And right. he's the only one who could bring these people there um and he's very charismatic right and he is he's dangerous he's very dangerous this is the danger of having a group of carefree idealists led by a a psychopath yeah (laughs) i didn't think he was charismatic charismatic at all i don't know like how they could have led it like followed him like Uh, uh, i I thought he was an idiot i think our read like we get to see behind the scenes we get to see him talking to mccoy and he's not uh Right, he's not sympathetic there as a character, but what we're saying, I think, is that the face he puts on to the people he interacts with, he's very charismatic, mm-hmm. um, and we get to see the behind the scenes of how that's a sham, how the manipulative side yeah, of it works as well. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you don't see the manipulation, yeah, we're seeing how the sausage is made. You know, yeah, I'm talking about his interactions with them. I think they're really flat and one-dimensional and I don't know how they could have been tricked by them if they're as intelligent as they make them out to be like they're also just really really gullible like kids well no no I think that's the trick right point I I think that's the the theme that I was saying at the very beginning that like if you have idealism with high gullibility right idealism without any critical thinking is the danger here that's the the core idea that if you it, it is not a problem to be an idealist it's but if you do not question anything then this is a path that you could find yourself on um randomly following a cult leader to a planet that's going to kill you i yeah. think this is just so bad guys <laughs> yeah we <laughs> know think- you haven't listened to any of our arguments or acknowledged them at all so yeah we know <laughs> i've listened to all your arguments you're just not giving me any good ones <laughs> so again at the beginning i said that i don't necessarily think it's a perfect episode no it's I definitely think if not you're going to if you're going to hold up a few episodes as pieces to use right you could you could teach from this episode and use it as a cautionary oh, tale for um, sure i could easily use this to, to teach so many different things again logical fallacies to start with but also um cults uh personality uh all these sorts of concepts generational cohorts yeah you can do 
that um, with other episodes that don't have the ridiculous pacing issues of this episode, that don't have the ridiculous dialogue and character interactions, and that don't have the ridiculously flat characters and the overarching themes that are just really terrible. I mean, you can get all those things in other episodes of Trek, and so this is one that I would never recommend to anyone else. <laughs> See, and I didn't, I didn't find the dialogue problematic. I didn't. No. The pacing was the checkout part was the problem. The checkout part's the problem. I honestly, no, that was not the. Part. Yes, that was okay. So that I have down is one of the big problems. The checkout parts are terrible. They were they just dragged and dragged and dragged and needed to be cut. But then that sing song part, the like. I think I timed it. It's like twelve minutes. Of there just was like, no way it's twelve minutes of a forty. Check it out. Episode. Go look there at like go no time way. up. Add up those sing song parts. Add them up. Yes. Oh, it, all of them. Yeah, yeah, all of them. Yes. Oh, okay. But, but not like. But not just like one the jam a, session. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like it is a fifth of the episode. It's just these like terribly I, lyric songs, which I, which I think are meant to be terribly lyric. Like I to be fair, but See, like, I, I feel like I've already forgotten the songs. Oh my god, but, they're so bad. But, like, like, that's the real pacing issue, that a fifth of the episode is, like, sing-songy terribleness, and then, like, another fifth is Chekhov, and very little happens outside, like, the interesting opening and then the scene in Eden, I mean, I which is the, also interesting. The first, like, ten minutes is getting them on the ship and talking to them, and then there's ten minutes of Chekhov stuff, probably. Yeah, so I just saying. don't think there's time left for 12 minutes of singing. Check it out. Add it up. I'll check it out. Maybe I'll go back in and edit it. And I bet it's like right 15 here. minutes and you're going to be like, shh. <laughs> that was we a do, long time. We... <laughs> <laughs> maybe, well, maybe I'll have gone back and told you right here what it is, but I guess we should move on then after I do that. So, Hey, future Paul here. Um, while editing, I did exactly what I said I would do, and I went back and watched the episode, which, um, boy, I really still think is a very good episode uh, on a secondary watch. Um, and timed every time anyone was uh, using an instrument or singing or anything of a musical sort and um, as expected it is not much it was about six and a half minutes six minutes and 25 seconds by my count so um, back to the episode chelsea we don't reach we don't reach you don't reach what it was a joke about the episode chelsea that's, that's what they say <laughs> they reach that's when oh. you get somebody you reach we don't reach as this is this this explanation of the joke is proving <laughs> But you guys, it's so bad. It's nope. so I bad. liked it. Uh, I have a lot more notes, but I feel like, uh, you know, we hit on... We're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh, I do have a... The, the, um, I was trying to think of subtitles for this episode, or, or um, you know, <laughs> the way to Eden, <laughs> colon, something else. Um, I, and I think one of the better ones I came up with was Starfleet. This is why you don't listen to music at work. <laughs> <laughs> That's why there's a poster in the break room that says, can you listen to music while you're working? No. no. <laughs> I don't relate to that. You don't have a, you've never worked in a job that had a break room with OSHA posters. I'm a musician. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Literally, my job is to listen to music at work. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> well, so, okay. Where does this guy fit? That's... Uh... Pretty he's low. just a regular Separate. person. We're talking about we're talking about Severin. Yeah. yeah, he's a regular person. He doesn't have any powers. He's just culty. Like, he's got to be around the Gorgon, probably below the Gorgon. I the think Gorgon so. did have space powers. Yeah, the Gorgon had space powers, so he's definitely below the Gorgon. We need to go to our list of regular people. Yeah, so the top of the regular people is, and the Gorgon again is at the 
is the very next step up from regular people. He is just above a regular person. So I think we are in the right place. Mm. We have Romulan Sarek is at the top of that list. Yeah. I Baylock, think he should stay there. Gary Seven. Gary Seven also kind of has space powers. Yeah. In a little unclear. bit, sort of. The Oracle, Mob from Friday's Child. Boy, I feel like... Mm. He's at least above Kirk, too, because everyone's yeah, above Kirk, too. Yeah, he beat Kirk 1 here, and Kirk 2 would have been... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or Tracy from the Omega Glory. Yeah, he would have just... Yeah, man, he would have been... Would have had, yeah. Tracy would have been a maybe, much better stand-in for the older generation here. Maybe um, above Mob, but below the Oracle? Yeah, the Oracle was able to let the room on fire. Yeah. The Oracle also kind of had spacey powers. So yeah, I would say... It was also say, kind of diluting a whole asteroid full of people. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think below Oracle, above Mob. That's my vote. Yeah. I think this guy's an idiot and is at the very bottom of the list. I mean, the bottom of the list is the Miri virus from Miri. They're the stupidest <laughs> virus ever. I think the virus would have killed him. Because he, he, he is defeating the virus. He already but has a virus. But he's a carrier and... <laughs> He would have been a courier for the Miri virus, right? (laughs) Unless he just died of it. Anyway, above mob feels good here. All right. Let's do that. Do whatever you guys want. You're not going to listen to me anyway. He's he's above the Miri virus, right? He is. Don't don't engage, Paul. Don't engage. (laughs) Nope. You're just, you're using your exact words. You're saying that I'm not listening to you, but you're not listening to me. I did listen and I don't agree. Chelsea... Where would you put him on the list? I'd put him at the very bottom. I think he's an uh, idiot. He well, affects no one. He gets nothing done. He kills one person, right? Lazarus isn't capable of doing that. I don't know. Lazarus, like, gets stuck in a time loop or whatever, like, Warpool. So he at least, like, permanently is time traveling with himself and mirror Lazarus. Yeah, there's a bunch of people on this list that Boy, there's a lot of different levels of how many people did they kill. Because when you get up to, like, Gideon, <laughs> who's fifth I mean, from if the we're bottom, talking about the virus, like, like, number of people we killed, then, like, I win automatically. Like, the Mary virus killed tons of people. Yeah, but they also so solved it. the whole it. planet of people. They solved it in a day with, like, I said, tech. if we're talking about the number yeah, yeah. of people killed. Well, and again, that would put Gideon much higher, because Gideon <laughs> wiped out an entire planet with a plan to genocide. Um, and he's fifth from the bottom, so. Yeah, the problem is that we've never qualified the criteria of what Yeah, yeah, we're not saying it is. that way. We're saying, how dangerous is this? Or, or how powerful is this? And the Miri virus is not very powerful. Um, but I, it depends how you measure, quote unquote, measure power. If it's based on the number of deaths, then yeah, it's extremely powerful. Yeah, but you just said we've never used number of deaths. Uh, we bring it up from time to time. We really we do, do. Bring it up from time to time. That's fair. Whatever. Anyway. Put it wherever you guys want. I, don't care. <laughs> I think I think it's two against one that it's kind of midway up the regular humans. All right. Bingo time. Time for bingo. Bingo time. Do you think we got bingo? Oh, boy. Let's really think about this one. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. This feels like it's one of those surprise ones that could have us. I don't think so. Chelsea, don't Chelsea think what has, do you think? You say no? I don't I'll think say it yeah. has anything. 
Yeah. So yeah, no, no bingo. There was not a whole lot in this episode at all that were cliche. Um, there was recurring actor. There was a captain's log. Nurse Chapel's there. Um, ancient Heart History is referenced with Typhoid Mary. Um, there were two non-Vulcan neck pinches. <laughs> because huh. <laughs> it was not done by a Vulcan, but it, they kind of worked that way, but uh, they weren't there. Um, but yeah, no, there was not a whole lot of cliche going on in this episode, which actually I was is mildly surprising, but it is a later season three episode two, so it's kind of oh. like, eh, whatever. They didn't, have a, they didn't have a traditional battle in space where things no. like bridge shakes. They didn't like go to a planet, so yeah. Yeah. You know, communicators no. or transporters or... Yeah, just not a lot. Not a lot cliche-wise in this episode. Just, I mean, a lot of 60s cliches, but other than that, it's not a lot of Trek cliches. Just another reason to hate it. (gasps) (laughs) Anyway, next time. All right, we are staying in season three. Mm. And we are going forward a little bit. Oh, God. (laughs) Please, no. (laughs) It's the Savage Curtain. Kirk, Spock, Abraham Lincoln, and Vulcan legend Serac are pitted in battle against notorious villains from history yes. for the purpose of helping a conscious rock creature's understanding of a concept he does yes. not understand. Good versus evil. <laughs> Guys, oh, I don't think gets, I can take this. This one gets parodied so, so many places. Much. This is so ripe for parody. I really don't think I can do this one right now. It's so... It's I do like the rock be... monster. Chelsea, have fun with this one. This is going to be as a so much joke. fun. This episode is a total Yeah, I know. So I remember insane. it, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, it's going to be insane. <laughs> I'm so excited. This is maybe some of the most off-the-rails Trek gets. So true. <laughs> well, Talk at about jumping costumes. The shark. Oh, this is going to be ridiculous. I'm so excited. <laughs> wrote this one i don't know someone insane i would think gene roddenberry of course he did i am not surprised in the least all right uh thanks for joining us listeners don't forget you can follow us on facebook and instagram and twitter and all that jazz you can email us info at three to beam up um and we will see you next time for the absolute that shit episode, The Savage Curtain.